welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I am your host for today, Maria Roa, and I am delighted to be joined by Catherine Reed. Catherine is an international sales and marketing consultant with over 25 years experience developing niche products in more than 150 countries. She helps companies to break through internal barriers, creating successful entrepreneurs and thriving global marketplace. Catherine is currently a partner at Uniconsult Week and Partner Consulting, where her main focus is on countries east of Austria, especially Asia. When she's not traveling around the world, she enjoys playing clarinet in her local town's wind orchestra or sharing her love of, of, of the outdoors with her rubber scout group. You need to tell us more about that, Catherine. <laughs> Well, you're very welcome to the show, Catherine. Let's move on as I have a number of areas I would like to discuss with you today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, first of all, I would like for our audience to know you a bit better. Uh, tell us about yourself. How did you get working in the area of international business? And did you always knew you wanted to work in consulting, helping others expand their businesses? Uh, no, not at all. That would be the short answer. <laughs> so to be honest, I started out as um, I started out as a languages student. Um, I studied French and German, and I was always very interested in all aspects about culture, business, politics. I wanted to know everything. And from the UK, you spend a year abroad and I spent my year abroad in Austria. And I really wanted, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do at that time, but I spent my year abroad teaching English. So it was quite quickly clear that I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, and I was thinking, what can I do that uses my languages that would let me travel, that would let me live in Austria again after uni. And I realized that the, the region that I was living in then and that I'm living in again now, um, that this region is really strongly focused on export and that the local university offered a postgraduate certificate in export and international business. And so that was how I got into international business. And I spent, yeah, I spent nearly 25 years um, working for various companies in various fields from automotive to baby food. Okay. And um, and then I always had this kind of idea at some point I'd like to be my own boss, but I really wasn't quite sure how or what it should be. And then in 2018, I had this opportunity to become self-employed and to join Uniconsult Week as a, as a partner. So I joined them in the middle of 2019 and Obviously, it was a brilliant time to start out in your own business just half a year before a global pandemic. But yes, so it's been an interesting ride. Yeah. Well, that sounds super cool. What you said that Austria at that time, or well, that uh, zone of Austria that you were living in was very strong at exporting. What, what were they exporting? So this region is quite strong in industrial exports so first of all in steel in extruded plastics 
but also quite a number of, of, of quite strong black brands. So for example, the brand KTM who produce both motorcycles yeah. and bicycles is, okay. is based in the region. Um, there are also a number of, of smaller brands. The baby food brand Hip is based in the region, which is where I was working for a long time. Um, well, you know then... your niche there. That was pretty cool. You were yeah. very young. Yeah. So More by luck than judgment, but yeah, it worked out for well. <laughs> it worked out really well. <laughs> so what, what do you think are the most important things that businesses need to consider when deciding to take their brand global? I think that, first of all, they really should know themselves very well. So they need to look at themselves internally and be very honest. Are we ready to export? Do we have the products? Is there a demand, of course, for our products? And do we, let's say, are we prepared to invest some time, energy, money into doing this? And then, of course, then the work on the project kind of starts because then you have to start doing the research to think about which markets would be suitable, which products, which uh how are the competitors working? How do I want to actually position myself as a global brand? What activities do I need to think about? And when I've done all of that research, then of course I need my concrete plan. And then if, once you have a plan, of course you've got to execute your plan because otherwise you're not going anywhere. So it's, it's always a little bit overwhelming. I think when you talk to a company for a first time and they like the idea of, of exporting, but they don't actually know about all the things to consider. And it can seem like you have this hugely long list of different factors to think about this and consider that, research the other. But at the end of the day, I guess it's like a framework that you go through each time, like a check, like a huge checklist of, of things to think about and to look at. Yeah, research at the end, I think is like the biggest point, right? I mean, but research has many things to do before I mean like it has many bullet points inside I mean not yeah. just one thing many things yeah. to check before you do that and uh, once they have taken that decision and they know their product it is valuable which countries they think it would be more valuable they do have the money to do that and all those I mean they have done the proper research let's say do you have a list of uh, three or five steps that you always recommend a new company to follow before choosing which markets to go into and which products or services they need to take to each market? I certainly do. I mean, I usually recommend to brands that they, first of all, that they consider what criteria are important for their individual brand. So they think about really who are their target customers, what kind of people they want to target, bearing in mind that maybe their customers use the brand or use their kind of product in a different way in other mm -hmm. markets. Um, but for example, people tend to look and say, well, for me, it's important to have a market that from Spain, you might say, okay, I want to go to South America because I want to have a market that speaks Spanish basically. Mm -hmm. um, or you might want to have a market of a certain size or a certain level of internet penetration they could all be important criteria for your product. And so you make a long list of, of countries that might come into question for, for your particular products. 
And from there, at least for me, then you start um, evaluating how attractive is that country in terms of economic criteria. And so you go through all of the economic factors, the cultural factors, all of those legal factors mm-hmm. that you need to consider. How difficult is it to do business in that market? Or maybe you want to look at it and you say, some markets, they don't fit at all with my values because the political system in that market doesn't fit with me. Or for example, Russia is a classical example at the moment, I guess, where a lot yeah. of companies have pulled out of Russia because it doesn't fit to their values the way that Russia is behaving. Yep. Um, and I think that, you know, once you've decided on those criteria, you've evaluated the country, then you can evaluate the market opportunity that you have, realistically speaking, how big is my segment? How much of that market can I realistically speak to as a niche player or as a new player, depending on who I am as a brand, but as a small company, probably you're going to be quite a niche player and then I start to analyze the competitive environment you know who are the international competitors who are there who are the domestic competitors how can I compete where can I fit into that existing framework because chances are these days there's almost no market where I'm going to go in and say okay my product doesn't exist I have to be really lucky to have that kind of a blue ocean opportunity right I mean everybody's dream yeah it's to have a blue ocean but no (laughs) that's really hard (laughs) yeah and of course once you've done that then you really do start to evaluate things like okay can I actually develop this market so do I need to make changes to my product maybe I need to redevelop it I mean especially in food and beverage you often need to adjust the recipe or at least you need to adjust the packaging for example or maybe you need a certain kind of instruction booklet for some piece of equipment if you're going to sell it to um, a medical device that you're going to sell to Colombia needs different criteria adjusting maybe from an electrical perspective or or so on you know if depending on the market that you're selling to you have to really think about all of those aspects how it's going to be used, whether your team can manage that or you need to outsource some of that, or maybe you just need some training in-house. Those are all kind of questions that as a company you have to ask yourself in order to be able to create a good export plan and really to decide on what is the best market to go into. I mean, the wrong reasons to go into a market are you always wanted to go shopping in Milan. So you go into <laughs> the Italian market. Um, it's quite nice to play golf in, in Vietnam, or you get lots of air miles. If you fly to Australia, those are all of those, are you know, the wrong reasons, <laughs> the yeah. wrong reasons. Yeah. yeah. But I guess that list is uh, a lot longer than three or five steps. Yes. We need to take into consideration many things. Uh, as you said, like, economic criteria, legal factors, political values, um, competitive market, who are we targeting? Yeah, that's a long list, but it is really, yeah, all of them are really important factors. Do you think it's it's best um, 
once they chose like just to try in one market or to go into a few markets at the same time and see where the product works better or it depends on the size of the company? I think it depends on the size of the company and their export experience. I think really, if you're talking about a really small company who is just starting out in exports, then I would recommend to them to choose a market which is probably a little bit closer to home where the legal frameworks are closer to their own. So maybe if you're in Spain, then maybe you look at France or Italy or Portugal because they're neighboring markets where it's not such a big difference. They have the basic EU um, framework, for example, or if you're based in the UK, then maybe you look at the Irish market because it's also somehow a similar kind of market, a similar kind of culture. It's not the same, but you have certain similarities. You feel more comfortable than you would do if you suddenly from the UK, for example, start to export to Ghana, which is probably a very different system. It's a very different environment. And it's not just, it's not the kind of environment that you can just pop to, to just have a quick look to see how it, you know, all anything that you do in that kind of market, which is further away, it's much more expensive because before you can actually get there, you've already got so many more expenses. Whereas if you're going to a market which is close by, maybe you can drive there, you can do it for just a day because looking at the market upfront is ideally the thing that you need to do to go, Mm -hmm. to talk to people, to get a feel. So uh, is is there any markets that you perceive to be more favorable favorable in terms of expansion because of areas such as legislation like you just named like for example if I was in Spain it would be France or Portugal because of legislation would this be like imagine the European Union you think is more favorable in terms of expansion because like we all have kind of like the same legislation or like places that are easier to expand into compared to other countries I think it depends where you're starting from Mm -hmm. because if you're starting from a market which is inside the EU already then of course EU regulations are quite familiar to you Mm -hmm. Um, and so from that perspective it can be quite familiar or you might choose to go to a market which feels more favorable to you in terms of culture because if the culture is very close to your own then you could feel that this could be a good fit for you. For example, I think that often between the US and Canada, whilst it's not the same, it's similar enough that companies feel comfortable to make that first step. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so also from a legal regulatory perspective, there are often groups of, com- of countries who have quite similar groups of reg- regulations So, for example, if you're coming from a country such as Saudi Arabia, then you probably would find that the Emirates has a relatively similar regulatory structure for certain kinds of products. And you can transfer quite easily between the two without having to make as many adaptations as you go from, I don't know, from Saudi to Malaysia. Okay, so there might be 
better for us, not only because of legislation, but because of political or because of um, cultural factors, right? And I think it's, it's a very individual decision. You know, a steel maker in the US is going to depend or he's going to make his decision based on different factors to compared to somebody who is producing handicrafts in Indonesia as to what constitutes a good market or an easy market to enter into. Okay, and we were talking about like the most favorable, favorable, sorry, markets, but I need to ask, is there any country that you find more difficult to enter? And what are the upsides to overcome these challenges in that country? I mean, I think you know what I'm going to answer because... Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing know. one thing, but I don't know if it's the same thing you're going to say. So go yeah. on. I would say that the most difficult markets to enter are often those with very high legal and regulatory barriers to entry. So in my case, that's most often China because it's such a complicated and such a fast-changing regulatory environment. Um, but for example, if you're exporting foods, then you also might have problems if you want to export to Indonesia or to Malaysia, because if you need to have halal certification or, you know, it's also not so easy. So, um, but China is certainly a very complex market that a lot of people underestimate. And they think that it's a kind of the roads are paid with gold kind of situation that if you just go to China, then there will be a market for you. And they often underestimate the sheer level of competition there is. So it's difficult to get into. And once you get there, everybody else is also there as well. So um, China is certainly an exceedingly competitive place to do business, but it's also a bigger cake than almost anywhere else that you can go right. into. So of course, even a few crumbs of that cake makes quite a nice dinner, let's say, for a lot of companies. Right, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you're an expert in Asia, so I, I need to ask, uh, can you tell us what are some of the key mistakes and learnings that you see business making when they enter Asian countries, is there some mistakes that it is usually repeated and that you have seen many times? I would say four main mistakes that I see okay. many times. The first one is assuming that um, it could be relatively easy to do big business compared to in your home market, mm -hmm. because it's seldom the case that it's really easy to do business. Maybe in the late 1990s, after the end of the Soviet Union, it was easy for Western companies to do business in, in, for example, the Baltic markets, because the market was quite empty compared to before. Or when China first opened, it was probably easier to do business because they were looking to have a lot of products. But now it's, it's a tough business environment. I think the second one that I see a lot of is a certain level of arrogance about the quality that, um, for example, European companies' products have versus the standards that are expected in Asia. So 
sometimes, especially in the food and beverage industry, the standards which are expected in China are almost higher than the quality standards which are demanded for Europe. And it's not so much that the quality is higher, it's just that China checks everything. Whereas in the European Union, a lot of things run much more on trust and you trust that your supplier is delivering the quality that he said he would and that the product is always the same quality. Whereas in China, the authorities will check. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's, that's one that I think it catches a lot of companies out. They get an audit from their factory might be audited and suddenly Chinese inspectors say your, your factory is such a bad standard. You don't get a certificate. You can't export anymore from tomorrow. That's, that's <laughs> really interesting. And that's horrible if it happens to you. I think, yeah. I think the third one is not taking the time or appreciating the effort to build relationships. So learning about the culture, being interested in the culture and appreciating that everything about the culture affects the way that people do business and that it affects all of the levels of doing business. And that if you want to do business in Vietnam or in Malaysia or in China, then you to a certain extent have to play by their rules. And of course, people receive you to a certain extent as a guest, but also if you want to do business there, then you have to take the time and you really have to invest in those relationships with people. And that's really um, a key point. And I think the fourth one that I would mention is that people underestimate the amount of time that they need to plan for those kind of expansion projects mm. um, because they always take much longer than you think. Well, that that was really interesting. Uh, very important what you said about the quality because I think you're right that we might be a little arrogant in Europe and we always think, oh, we have such a great quality and <laughs> it might be a quick check on reality if, if they get told that their factories are not good enough <laughs> so yeah yeah you know That's... sometimes it's often things like the inspectors go into the factory and they in a food factory for example and they see that people have the sleeves they they have you know the sleeves pushed up, up on yeah. their coats and they see that as as a hygiene um issue, Actually, yeah. issue. yeah or that things that shouldn't be kept together in a cold storage have been temporarily put somewhere. And maybe it's because the inspectors are there, you know, they were kind of, you know, the kind of tidying you do when yeah. your mom, when your mom comes to visit and, and you just, and you, you just clean everything. You just, and you, but there's some stuff that you just push somewhere out of the way. <laughs> and I think sometimes it happens like that with those kind of audit inspections that they, um, you know, they you look in a corner. The and they find that stuff that you've, all those random things that you've put together and they find those. And then of course it shouldn't be like that, so. Yeah. And it's also um, really interesting when you talk about taking the time to get to know the people, because I know that you firmly believe that business um, is conducted between people and yeah. therefore you focus on building a strong relationships that form solid foundations for successful businesses. 
this is something that I have been like saying all my life. I think like uh, business are people. So, I mean, we, yes. should, we should always be talking like uh, C2C, let's say, because at the end it's like, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's people to people, let's say, and I mean, not C2C, but like people to people. And is this something you tell your clients they need to take into account when going into new markets, whether it's Asia or whatever they go, it's like, it's, something they always need to take into consideration 100 percent. because from my perspective you always need to think about how does each culture want to form their relationships for business how do they define even you know a business relationship because the u.s sees that in a very different way to me as a brit or you as a spaniard and so you have to firstly know how they form relationships, how a a business relationship should look and how deep does it need to be before you can do business. I mean, if you visit a Dutch company as a European, you can probably just have a little bit of small talk. You know, how was the flight? How, How was the hotel when you arrived last night? And then you can probably get down to actually more or less, once you've given them a coffee, you can get down to to talking about business but if you go no, to asia sure. or you go to or you go to south america it's not like that and the building the relationship is going to be a much bigger part of the of the no. any kind of visit or meeting that you have so, you go so. to spain and for sure you need to eat with them and like have a drink with them and like i mean that's what it builds the relationship with a client i mean it, it's not something weird i mean like you need to know those people you will end up asking them about their kids it's like you need yes. to their family in order to feel sure about making business with them i know it might sound weird but that's the way no. we are. we like to know about your life to feel you're like someone that we are safe with in businesses yeah but Um, that's the kind of business I've done all of my life you know I mean one of my friends she once said to me oh you know your colleague who used to take care of those markets he I realized when I talked to the client he'd told them about something to do with his family I don't know if it was something about his sister or his kids or something uh, like this and she was so she was so surprised that this customer knew something about his family and, uh, you know, and the rest of us, we're just sitting and thinking, well, that's the normal way. And especially if you yep. visit regularly the same people, I can't sit and have dinner with you. And we talk all the time about, you know, this some kind of spreadsheet or, or <laughs> how were the sales? Yeah, Sometimes you have to. Yeah. That's how we create relationships because it's it's not about my company working with your company. It's about me working with you daily. Yes. And if the chemistry doesn't work, the chemistry doesn't work. I really couldn't imagine to do business with somebody that I couldn't. And I, this is what I always tell my clients. If you can't bear to have lunch or dinner with the guy, he's the wrong partner for you in the long term. It's okay to do spot business. You can do a deal and you just, you know, you just sell him a one-off. Like if you're trying to clear your stock, you just sell him a one-off, deliver it to him. That's okay. But if you want to do, you want to have long-term partner, you have to be able to sit and enjoy having an evening with that person. Doesn't have to be your best friend, but yeah. 
agree 100%. Well, <laughs> that's amazing. It is, it's been great, Catherine. Uh, this conversation is coming to an end unhappily because I would like to talk to you for a very long time. <laughs> but is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? I would just mention that if anybody is thinking about expanding internationally and they're not quite sure which markets they can go into, they can download a free ebook from my website at katherineread.com forward slash ebook. I'm sure you can put a link to that in the show I notes. Um, and that basically goes through a lot of different factors and it talks about one method of evaluating markets and there's um, if you go through there's also a link to a spreadsheet that you can feed some data in and it'll give you some um, it'll give you some results on a kind of at least a fairly objective basis and if you then look at it and think I don't want to go to that particular market I want to go to the second biggest market that's also okay but so that you can really try to make your decisions based on data rather than um, based on gut feeling, which is not always the best way. No, that's really great advice. We can also find you in LinkedIn, right? Yes, definitely. I'm easily to be found on there frequently, far too frequently, probably, but yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it was great having you here. Well, so that's the end of today's show with Catherine Reed. Please make sure to tune in again to see and or to listen the next Vista Talks show where we will be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me.